0: Let's jump in this morning. Uh, we're starting a new series. Uh, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the life of Elijah. And I just want to say right off the bat, if you're already um, walking in guilt and shame because you did not bring your Bible this morning, that's okay, all right? God is a God of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And, um, and I see all the teacher's pets in the back waving at their I thank, thank you that you brought your Bible. I love it. I love it. It's great. Um, listen, there's always next week, okay? There's always next week to bring your Bible. But I do want to encourage you um, to bring it in the series, because we are going to be opening up the scripture in First Kings, and just walking through some things. And it's just a great opportunity to highlight, make notes yourself, and, and all, those good, all those good things. Um, I want to say this as we start this morning, that I do believe that God wants to do something in us today. Uh, and through the course of this series, whether you've walked in here for the very first time today, or you've been going here for 30 years, if you're in the room or you're walk, uh, watching online, if I know your name or I don't, I believe that if you are sitting in here today, if you are watching online, that there are things that God wants to share with every single one of us, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord today. And I also believe that we are in a season here at Beaches Chapel. Um, I'm calling it a season of more. And, and I believe we've been going through some seasons here at Beaches Chapel, seasons of healing Seasons of rest, uh, seasons of growth, and and we are in a season of of growth, a season of more right now, um, at Beaches Chapel, and and I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. I'll be honest with you. I think there's going to be all sorts of different things uh, that God does with us as a church and things individually uh, that He is calling us to. To more of. And you know, we can hear that and, and get excited, maybe get a little nervous because if, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you know that when God calls us to more, that also means change, right? He actually equates uh, more to being pruned, right? If you read John 15, he talks all about that. When, when he calls us to more, he calls us to be pruned. And that's not a very comfortable word. But from that, more fruit. Uh, hap- happens, right? We, we, we see that in our life, and if you've ever gone through a season of pruning or a season of more, you look back on it, and though that it's challenging, you're grateful for it. And so here we are, and I believe we are in that time of more here at Beaches Chapel. And, and, and I want to say this, too, as, as we begin this morning, that we are not a works-based church, right? We do not believe that we are saved through works in the things that we do and the things that we don't do earn us salvation or allow God to love us more because of the things that we've done or we haven't done, right? God loves me the same here as lead pastor of Beaches Chapel as he did when I was a golf cart attendant at Marsh Landing, right? He loves me the same it's not works-based. It's not about what we do or don't do. Ephesians 2 says that we are saved by grace, not by works, so that no man can boast, right? We are saved through the love of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us and being raised again, saving us, okay? And, be, and I, I wanna start by saying that because there may be moments even today and in this series and in the course of whatever God has for us going forward where we, we might feel, the enemy might creep in and say, you're not doing enough. Or you need to stop doing this because, in, and if you don't, then God's gonna love you less or more. God's love is not conditional. It is unconditional, okay? And, and I wanna say that so we don't get sidetracked, so the enemy doesn't distract us. He's calling us to more because he loves us and wants more for us, not because he's mad at us, not because you know he's pointing the finger and saying, how dare you do this and how dare you do that. He's saying, no, I got more for you. I love you so much. There's so much more for you. And so let's not not get distracted by works and understand that it's by the grace of God that he's calling us to more. Amen? Amen. Okay, so the theme, the theme of the story of Elijah for us during this series, and you can write this in your notes, is Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. And we're gonna get to that more next week Than we are today. As a matter of fact, today we're not even talking about Elijah. We're not even going to get to him yet. We're going to talk about his adversary. We're going to talk about the king of Israel at the time of Elijah. But it's important to know, at today and going forward, that Elijah was a man just like us. He's special, right? He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth for sure. And I'm already getting ahead of myself. We're already talking about next week. But he's he's he he's a man just like us. And to appreciate that and who we are in Jesus, we're gonna look at his adversary. We're gonna look at the guy that he goes up against this morning. And that's a guy named Ahab, all right? Ahab was king of Israel. And just a quick little history lesson this morning. When Ahab became king, there had been 19 evil kings in all of Israel. That totaled 60 years of wickedness on the throne. You had had King Saul and King David and King Solomon. And then after King Solomon Started the reign of evil kings in Israel, nineteen in all, and each one was more evil than the one before him. And so when we get to this, this point of the story with King Ahab, it's like there had been this crescendo building of evil. And it was just getting to this tipping point, all right, where God finally interacted with Elijah. And so let's pick it up in verse in first in Kings chapter 16, starting in verse 29. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Azza's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Here it is. Even more than any of the kings before him. So what it's saying is, he was the most evil of 19 kings. Okay? Even more than any of the kings before him. In Verse 31. And as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, who was uh, the king prior to him, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians. And he began to bow down and worship to Baal. First Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. So, Beyond being more evil than all the kings before him, Ahab marries Jezebel, who opens the door wide open for the worship of Baal. And right, we're going to get to the significance of Baal next week. Today, we're just going to focus on Ahab and Jezebel. And some of y'all may, Jezebel, that name has kind of infiltrated our culture. You may have heard it, uh, someone talking about Jezebels, right? And in Charles Wendell, how he refers to Jezebel is Satan's woman of the hour, okay? Satan's woman of the hour. How's that? If you're an expectant mom, just cross that name off the list, all right? If it was something you were, th- no, we're not doing Jezebel anymore, all right? Satan's woman of the hour. She is also the only queen that is mentioned of all the 19 kings, right? So if you go back in scripture and you, and you want to do some research on all these kings that come before Ahab, none of them talk about the queen. Only Jezebel gets that honor, and it's, it's not a good one. But she has a reputation. She had a reputation before she—like, when she marries Ahab, the people are like, oh, okay. Like, they already knew about her. Her reputation preceded her. And I, as I was looking in on this uh, study this week, preparing for this morning, I read this commentary, and it, it was so interesting to me. And it says this, it said, Had a secular historian been recording these events, the marriage of Ahab and Jezebel would likely have been applauded as a, prudent, as a prudent political move. Both Phoenicia and Israel were being threatened by Syria, and the marriage gave Ahab a powerful military ally at a crucial time. I thought this was so interesting because I've, when I taught Bible here at the school, I taught the story of Elijah every year. And not once had I ever considered what this marriage looked like from a secular perspective. I only considered, of course, you're reading the Bible, right? What it looked like from a godly perspective. And what we see here very clearly is that the secular uh, perspective is wildly different from the godly perspective. Secular perspective is very, very different than the godly perspective. Secular perspective says, hey, good move, king. You've just created an ally, right? This is good. This is prudent. You've done something to protect the kingdom from those that are trying to attack us. Good move, King Ahab. Godly perspective says, you just let idol worship into this kingdom. That's what godly perspective says. And so, first question for all of us this morning. What are we basing our decisions on? What are we letting into our homes? And how are we making those decisions. Are we looking at it from a secular perspective, or are we looking at it from a godly perspective? I think we'll be surprised when we take a step back and really ask ourselves that question, which one are we doing? You know, as we look at the world and the condition of the world today, and it's been like this forever, it's nothing new, but this is the world that we live in right now. And if we look at the world today, all the sin All the sin is rooted in the fact that we make decisions based on ourselves, in what pleases me, right? Follow your heart, which by the way, is never said in scripture. It is never said in scripture. You know what Jeremiah 29 or Jeremiah 17 says? It says our heart is wicked. It, It is deceitful. Who can know it? That's what the Bible says about our heart. So when you hear that phrase, follow your heart, no, don't follow your heart. Do not follow your heart. It is deceitful and it is wicked. And we don't know it. When it says follow your truth, right? right, Don't do that either. Don't do that either. You know, when Jesus is arrested and he's he's in front of Paul, just Pilate, Pilate asks him this question. He says, what is truth? You know what Jesus' answer is? me. I am truth. I am truth. And so we see these decisions made in the the world, and it's all about us. It's all about what pleases me. And we never bother to ask the question, Lord, does this please you? Does this job that I'm going to take please you? Does this decision that we're going to make as a family please you? Because that's what we want to do first and foremost— Because my heart says this, but I also know that my heart is wicked, right? My heart is flawed, but your ways are perfect. So Lord, let me ask you before we even consider what we want, does this please you? My God, the, the world never asks that question. We've forgotten, we've forgotten that things that we do can hurt the Lord and His Holy Spirit. but it it doesn't hurt any, it's not harming anybody. Is it harming the Lord? Is it hurting his spirit? So we have these secular viewpoints, these secular perspectives, and then we have godly perspectives. We have subjective truth, and we have objective truth. Subjective truth, it's all about me. Objective truth, it's all about Jesus. And y'all, it really, really, really is that simple. What's best for my bank account? What pleases the Lord, right? What's be- best for my social life? What pleases the Lord? What are we doing to determine the decisions that we make in our lives? Another way to put that, a more spiritual and biblical way to ask that question is what are we yoked to? And that's really the question that I have for all of us, including myself, this morning. What are we yoked to? What or who are we letting into our lives? Second Corinthians 6, verse 14 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Christians, believers, let's not be yoked to the world. Let's not make decisions the same way that they are making decisions. You know, Jezebel does a lot of evil in the story. We're going to hear about her uh, more as the weeks continue, for sure, because she plays a major role in all of this. But to blame everything on Jezebel would be unfair because Ahab was the one that let her into the kingdom. Ahab was the one that let her in. It says, if you go back and read those things, that he began to bow down in worship of Baal. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings before him, right? He did these things. So we can't just point the finger totally at Jezebel. Ahab played a role in this. He was the king who let her in, and he was the one that built the temples to Baal. He was the one that bowed down to Baal. He was the one that did more evil. And as we'll see next week, it's Elijah that goes to him, to talk to him, not Jezebel he let her in and in doing so he allowed the entire kingdom to change all because he let Jezebel in he yoked himself to her and listen y'all we don't have kingdoms right no one in here no one in here's a king right okay but you know what we have a temple our bodies are a temple of the holy spirit and we have homes And for some of us, we have marriages and we have children. But we all have a temple to protect. We all have homes to protect. So in those, what are we yoking ourselves to? Is it about what pleases me, or what pleases the Lord? I I I really felt this on my heart this week to say this. Is that we need to be extremely careful. We all need to be extremely careful in what we are letting into our lives and what we are letting into our homes. Because the availability for the Jezebels to come into our home is greater now than it's ever been. It is greater now than it has ever been. It is a click of the remote. It is a click of the mouse. It is things being delivered in boxes by Amazon or whatever to our front door. We don't even have to leave the house to invite all sorts of wickedness into our homes. And we, as the grown-ups in the room, have to set that standard for our families. So just for conversation, something for you to consider and think about, what shows are you watching on Netflix? Right? What shows are you watching on, on streaming platforms that are right there that maybe you're justifying because, well, it's not doing any harm? Is it pleasing to the Lord? How much news are you watching at night? How much, how much of those things are you consuming into your brain and into your heart? And how is that affecting your walk with the Lord? How is that affecting how you even just talk to other people? Maybe even in your own family who don't know the Lord. How much time are we spending on social media? How much time are we spending staring at our phones while our children are staring at us, asking for attention? What are we letting into our homes, our kingdom's? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Listen, y'all, the devil don't let up, okay? devil doesn't stop. I'm going to tell y'all a story about our chickens real quick. So I can't, this was, this was a few months ago. That was maybe six months ago. I don't know. Jesse has no idea what I'm about to talk about. It's been a while, but in case you didn't know, we're a chicken family. We have chickens. We've crossed that line, all right? And they're a mess. They're disgusting. But we get like three eggs a day from them, so whatever, right? Um, we should break even on how much we've spent on them by about 2037. Maybe. They don't just poop everywhere because we let them out because they're free range, right? And uh, so we let them out in our backyard. I'm just waiting for a hawk to get one. They never do. They don't just fly over our house. They never attack them. But, um, but uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Anyway, and one day, I came home when it was early. I think I had uh, I'd been somewhere, like, I don't know. But it was like 7 o'clock in the morning. I was getting home, and we have a gate uh, toward, on the side of our house. It's about six feet tall, and one of the chickens was was— on it. And I'm like, what is that? Because we don't let them out out of their coop till like later in the day. They stay in there at night, and later in the day, we let them out, and then we put them up at night. And so for a second, I was like, I got to get that chicken off the fence. And I'm like, why is that chicken on the fence? You know, it, was like, it took me a second to, to figure out what was going on. And then I thought to myself, oh no, we didn't put them in their coop last night. And so I immediately go into panic mode, and. I think I grabbed it off of the fence and I walked it through our house to put in the back. I'm like, the the chickens are out, the chickens are out. That's like the first thing Jesse hears from me that whole morning, right? The chickens are out. And so we go in in, and outside and I'm praying that nothing happened to the chickens. Well, sure enough, one of them gets attacked and there's feathers all in the backyard. And like, it killed us. Like we were so upset that one of the chickens had gotten attacked. And all it took was that one time, that one time for the chickens to not be put away in the coop that night for the enemy to come intact. You know why? Because the enemy had been waiting. Every single night, knowing exactly where those chickens were. One night, James and Jesse are gonna forget to lock that door, and I'm gonna pounce like a roaring lion waiting to get you. Sure enough, it did. Thankfully, chicken was okay. It's recovered and laying eggs again. Thank you, Jesus, right? (laughs) But it really, like, it was honestly one of the first things I thought about when that happened. I was like, wow, the enemy is relentless. And y'all, if we are not careful and we just let the door open one time, it just takes one time for the enemy to pounce. And we have to be extremely careful in what we are letting into our homes. And we have to ask ourselves, is this a godly decision or is this a me decision? And me decisions can look really good on paper. Me decisions can say, this is good for the kingdom. This is an ally. This is going to protect us. When in reality, it's opening the door to all sorts of evil to come in and we might not even realize it because we never considered God in the decision. And if we considered God in the decision, he might say, no, don't do this. And we're saying, but it looks really good on paper. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you, don't do this. Because he sees an evil that we don't. And that's when we have to say, all right, Lord, I submit to you, I submit to your authority. As God of my home, I'm gonna obey you instead of what looks good on paper. And I'm gonna trust by you saying, no, you are are really protecting us. You see, it would have been much better for Ahab to worship the Lord, and that would have protected Israel than marrying Jezebel. God is our ally, not some other kingdom. God is our ally. What are we yoking ourselves to? I say this to our staff all the time, that our home is our first mission field. And I tell them that because church comes a distant second, y'all. And I want you to hear that from me as the lead pastor. For our staff, our church comes second to their home and their families. And so if something is going on at home that they need to deal with, they go. They go, because that's most important. Our homes, our families, our marriages are our first mission field. I went to a pastor's conference a few years back and uh, one of the pastors there that spoke, his name is Chris Hodges. He's the pastor of the Church of the Highlands in, in Alabama. And it's a huge, huge mega church. They have like, I don't even know, 10 or 11 campuses. They have a college there now. Like, they, it's just ridiculous. And, and I, think the, I think the conference was in the fall. I don't quite remember. But when he was talking, he referenced Easter of that year. And he said over 50,000 people came through their church doors that Easter weekend. 50,000 people on all of their campuses and all of the services that they had. Over 50,000 people. I couldn't believe it. And then he went on to say... That he has five kids. Five kids. And his main concern, what he if he was a success as a son of God, it would be that his five kids knew Jesus and got saved. Not the fifty thousand people that came through the doors of his church on Easter weekend, but his five kids. Why? Because his first mission field is his home. And that is always gonna be his focus. And you know what's amazing? If all of us took that same approach in our lives, imagine what churches would look like if we treated our homes as our first mission field. And so what are we yoking ourselves to? What are we yoking ourselves to? We've chosen all these other things to have entrance into our lives that disrupt the family unit. Let me ask you a question. How often do you and your family sit around the kitchen table and eat dinner together at night? How much time do you spend, parents of little kids or even grown kids, shuttling them back and forth from this activity and that activity and all these other things, filling their lives with all this stuff? Do you feel, parents, that you and your spouse are like passing ships in the night and never have a real conversation? Is your home your first mission field? Because we may not worship Baal, but a lot of times we bow at the altar of busyness. And we need to guard, we need to guard our mission field that is our home. Because it might look good on paper, but it might not be a godly decision. And I wanna say this as well. Let, Let me first say this. Extracurricular activities for your kids are a good thing. They are a good thing, but there is always a balance. There is always a balance in what you allow your children to do. And also adults, if you don't have kids or your kids are grown up, there is a balance for what you do with your extracurricular activities as well. But you need to ask yourself, with all those extracurricular activities and all that stuff, is this good for the family unit? Is this good for our family? Or are we just filling our lives with busyness? And I want to say this as well. It is okay to tell your kids no. Like, no, you can't do that. But I want to do it. Well, I don't care. You can't do it. No, he's not I don't care. I care that you want to do that. But the answer is still no. <laughs> and you can tell them why. They may not understand. They may. But I guarantee you, if you choose godly decisions over secular me decisions, even though they may not appreciate it then, they will later in life. They will be able to look back and say, oh, This is why, because as great as extracurricular activities are for our children, nothing is better than our attention in their lives, than us spending time with them. Not only that, but it teaches them at a young age how to receive the answer no from our parents so that later in life, when our heavenly father tells us no, which he does often, we know how to receive that. But if our kids are always being told yes, you can do that, you can do this, and the other, the other, and God all of a sudden they, they walk in with Jesus and God says no, they're gonna go, well, what are you talking about? I'm only used to being told yes, God. So, maybe you need to change your mind, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, you're gonna see me toddler as an adult right here on the floor. All right, and if you don't know what toddlering is, it's awful. Right? <laughs> <sighs> So what are we yoking ourselves to? What are we yoking ourselves to? How are we making the decisions that we make in our lives? Every single day. Every single day. It's all these little decisions that add up, right? The story goes on in First Kings chapter 16, starting in verse 34. Uh, there's this little thing sandwiched right in the middle of Ahab and then the introduction of Elijah in chapter 17. And it's this, it says in verse 34 of of chapter 16. It says, It was during his reign, meaning Ahab's reign, that Heal, a man from Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. When he laid its foundations, it cost him the life of his oldest son, uh, Abiram. And when he completed it and set up its gates, it cost him the life of his youngest son, Segub. Sorry, Segub, I don't know if that's how you pronounce your name. So this all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho, spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Okay, so right here at the end of 16, there's this fulfillment of a prophecy that is spoken by Joshua all the way back in Joshua chapter 6. And it reads this in verse 26. It says, At that time, Joshua invoked the curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. So Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, 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 right? Y'all know that VBS song? Okay, so this happens and then he invokes this curse, this prophecy, that if anyone tries to build what God has destroyed, there will be consequences, right? And I believe with all my heart that this prophecy, this curse that is put on someone was well known in all of Israel, because this was a big deal. I mean, Joshua was well known. The, the Jericho walls falling was a big deal. And so this curse was a big deal in Israel. And I don't believe at all that Ahab did not know about this curse. I think he absolutely knew about it. Now, this is me reading in. This is, my, this is conjecture on my part, but I really do believe this. And even if he didn't, there had to be some wise man, some whatever that came to him and said, oh, by the way, if you do the hey, I heard that you're building Jericho. You need to know this. But he allowed it anyway. He allowed it anyway. Why? Because the voice of evil is extremely arrogant. It's extremely arrogant and says, oh, that doesn't pertain to you, right? You don't need to worry about that. Just go all the way back to the fall of man. Let's go back to Eden with the serpent and Eve. Oh, he didn't say that. You'll be fine. He's just worried about this. Arrogance, eat from the tree, it's fine. Ignore God's warning. Ignore the warning that God gave that if you do this, something will happen. It doesn't apply to you. Y'all, and I say this out of love for everyone in this room, but if God is warning you about something, listen, listen, because he's trying to save you from harm. And a lot of times, there's this nudging of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that says, hey, don't do that. You need to step away from that. You need to stop hanging out with those people. You need to not turn on your computer. You need to not watch that show. You need to stop watching the news. You need to stop doing this. And we go, no, 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 it's okay, I can handle it. I can handle it. It's not a big deal. But then that not big deal becomes a little bit bigger of a deal, becomes a little bit bigger of a deal, and all of a sudden we're like 19 kings in a row worshiping this idol that we've let into our home. All the while the Holy Spirit's been saying, don't, don't, don't. But we think that we can handle it. And a lot of times it's the enemy in our ear telling us we can handle it because of course he knows the end result. Because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. And he knows if we just open that door just a little bit into our homes, into our hearts, into our lives, then the evil will come in and will destroy us. The other reason was that there's evil is arrogant. And ignorance, ignorance is stupid. We ignore it. We say, ah, I'm just not going to deal with that. It's easier if I just ignore it. So I will. Albert Einstein said, the only thing more dangerous than ignorance is arrogance. So the two go hand in hand. I'm arrogant enough to not think it's going to be me, and so I'm going to ignore the warning that God is giving me, and I'm just going to do whatever I want. That was Ahab there was this curse given by Joshua. I mean, Joshua, y'all. The guy who came after Moses. That's kind of a big deal. That's a dude that you listen to. But Ahab, in his arrogance, ignored the warning. And it cost this guy two sons. What are we basing our decisions on, y'all? What are we letting into our homes, thinking, ah, it's okay. It doesn't pertain to me. You know, for... For many of us, when it comes to the people that we hang out with, we like to say, well, I'm the only Christian that they have in their life, so I'm just, you know, I'm gonna hang out with them. And for a season, that might be true. But are we truly being examples to the unbeliever that we continue to hang out with? Or are we just putting ourselves in situations that can be dangerous for us? Are we talking about Jesus in those moments? And are they talking back? Are we inviting them to church? And are they accepting the invitation? Or are we just kind of in the room showing them that I'm not going to take part, right? Listen, y'all, there, there's there's a time, but sometimes the best witness that we can be, the best example that we can be, is to take a stand and say, I'm not going to be in that room anymore. I'm not gonna be in that room.
1: I'm gonna continue to
0: be your friend. I'm gonna continue to be your family member and invite and and talk on the phone or whatever. And I'm I'm gonna invite you and I'm gonna invite you and I'm gonna invite you. But sometimes we, I think we just lie to ourselves and say we're being something when we're really being something else. And we need to be very careful who we are hanging around with and what we are exposing ourselves to. What and who are we yoking ourselves to? And listen, I don't want you know you to hear this message. And say, man, I've yoked myself to to all sorts of different things, and now I'm just listening and beating beating ourselves up. Right? I got to do this. And remember, it's not a works-based thing. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. And I believe that the Lord is getting our attention this morning. Maybe warning us even right now, asking us to take a step back and examine really are the things that we are allowing ourselves into our home, exposing ourselves to, are they pleasing to the Lord? (laughs) And honestly, you might be asking the question and going, James, what is left? Like what is left? Well, there's your family, there's your children. There's walks. There's all sorts of things, y'all. Listen, I'm telling you, if you just if you make those decisions, God will open up your eyes to all, a whole different way of living, a whole different way of looking at things. So don't be afraid. Certainly, do not beat yourself up, because that is the enemy as well. He's going to tell you either oh, this doesn't apply to you or how dare you. Neither one of those are the Lord. This is the Lord. Matthew chapter uh, 11. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, when it comes to who and what are we being yoked to? It says, then Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Here it is, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here it is again. For my yoke is easy to bear, And the burden I give you is light. Listen, when we yoke ourselves to the world, it is not easy and it is not light. It is stressful. It is filled with anxiety and worry and arguments come from them. Our home does not resemble a place of peace or of refuge. It is a stressful environment because we have yoked ourselves to the world and decisions that we have made that even though they might look great on paper, are not godly decisions. But here we are, y'all, Sunday morning, August 13th, with an invitation to take off the yoke of the world and receive the invitation of Jesus and to put that yoke on us. Can we just all stop and appreciate the fact that the creator of the universe doesn't just wanna be yoked with us, wants to dwell inside of us. I mean, that's the reality of walking with Jesus, that he desires to be yoked with us. Praise God. Praise the Lord for that. Because in doing so, we can rid ourselves of all those other things. We can slam the door. We can slam the door on the evil that's been coming into our homes and into our lives and into our marriages and over our children and into the workplace and wherever else we might go. And we could say, no, I yoke myself to the truth. I yoke myself to Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing about it is it's not about works. It's not about works. Listen to what else Jesus says about us. That is so incredible. In Matthew chapter five, on the Sermon on the Mount, verse 13, this is what he says about us, y'all. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. He goes on to say, you are the light of the world. Come on, y'all. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. He calls us salt and light, y'all. Salt and light, that's how much Jesus believes in us. That's how much he thinks about us. But you know what makes salt not not salty anymore? When we start yoking ourselves to other things. Listen, the world is bland. The world is bland, it has no flavor. It's arrogance says that it does. But anyone that's tried to walk in the world finds out really, really quick that the world is really bland and it has no taste. What does Jesus say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, y'all are the salt. And if you yoke yourselves to me, people are gonna come to me. You are the light. You are the light in the dark place, my believers, my children. That's what he says about us, y'all. So don't sit here and think, well, what am I gonna do now? What, you're gonna be the light of the world. You're gonna be the salt of the world. Don't let the enemy tell you that by being different, you're going to be robbed of all these different things. No, it's the opposite. By being the same, we are going to be robbed of all these things. No, by being different, by yoking ourselves to Jesus, by making the hard decisions, we are the light and we are the salt of the world. Can I get an amen, church? Come on. But we have to make those decisions, y'all. And I've been saying it for weeks, and I, I guess it's my new theme. But we need to look different. But being different is hard. It's, this is not a pep rally talk, all right? It's hard to be different at first. But then once we make those choices, the last thing that we wanna do is be the same because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And all those other things that as we sit here now and consider what am I gonna do if I stop watching these shows, they are going to be bitter to you, I promise you. You're gonna go, I don't, that's just, dis- listen, when I first started dating Jessie, she watched the Disney Channel. Like, anyone remember Sunny with a Chance? Anybody in here? A, a, a couple, like nobody? Okay, fine. It was this pure show. All right, thank you, Rushton, finally. Um, listen, it doesn't make you less manly to watch Sunny with a Chance. But I would watch it with her and be like, this, eh, you know? But she was so pure, she didn't wanna watch any of that other stuff. And then, as I would go back and watch the shows, I was like, "Yeah, you're right. You've ruined these shows for me. Thanks a lot." But I didn't want it anymore. I didn't want that stuff anymore. No, I don't. I don't want the things of this world. I don't want to let the door open. I don't want to be like Ahab, who's it might look good on paper, but is this really pleasing to the Lord? Is this really pleasing to the Lord? Is this really pleasing to the Lord? I want to please the Lord. And as we do, as we do, those things that we are maybe just justifying, exposing ourselves to, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you, you're not going to want them anymore. You are not going to want those things anymore. So I want to encourage all of us in here, maybe have a, maybe have a discussion today, or this evening with your spouse, but are we making God-pleasing decisions? Are we even considering asking him first before we make these? Are we protecting our, our, our first mission field? We might not be worshiping Baal, but are we worshiping busyness in our lives? And take that yoke off of you. And then take Jesus' invitation to put on his yoke that is easy and light. And walk in his ways. And let's all be the salt of the earth light of the world to a world that desperately needs us. And I want to say also this morning, very clearly, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've been walking in the understanding that everything is about works, that what you do earns you salvation, or the things that you've already done disqualify you from salvation, I want to say to anybody that's watching online, anybody in this room, that that is not the case. We are saved by the grace of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. He was raised again three days later to be our Savior. He was the sacrifice. He took our place because he loves us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. Our spotless lamb, that perfect sacrifice. You can receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior This morning, right now, you can take that yoke off of you and receive the invitation of Jesus to be yoked with him and to walk in lockstep with him for the rest of your life. And and the old is gone. The new is here. Jesus uses the phrase to be born again. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You never, ever, ever, ever have to worry about what you yoked yourself to before. When you turn your life over to Jesus, it's brand new, brand new. He loves you so much. He loves us all so much. And thank you, Jesus, for his grace and his mercy to let us take a step back and ask ourselves that question. Am I making a godly decision here or am I making a decision of me right here? And if you don't know, just ask him. And if you still don't know, ask him again and wait until you hear from him. Wait on him. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray for you all this morning before we dismiss. And I, I want to say this too as well as we're talking about seasons of more, seasons of growth. I, I want to echo, well, I can't say it the way that Hannah did. Um, thank you, Hannah. But we do these community groups, y'all, not as a checklist of, okay, we're we're doing this, let's just move on. Like we believe in relationships here at Beasius Chapel. We believe in relational growth. And consider, pray about joining a community group. 6 a.m. might sound really early to a lot of us men in here. It is early, but it's worth it. A Zoom call might not sound ideal, but it's a start. And I'm a part of a pastoral network where we Zoom once a month. And it's great. I love the conversations that happen in that, in that hour and a half. Join it. Ladies, make that choice. And to the men in the room who, who whose wives want to go to the, to the uh, Wednesday night meeting, push them out the door to go and take care of the home for them, okay? Make that provision for them. But y'all, we have these here. We have community groups. We have the well weekend in October. We have the mission trips that we're doing next year on purpose, it's to grow relationally, grow together, to grow, to receive that more that Jesus has for us. But it begins with that decision. It begins with a relationship with Jesus. So Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, to just let us step back and reflect on the decisions that we're making every day, Lord, not just for ourselves, but in our marriages, for our children, God, and all of it, Lord. And I pray that it would be abundantly clear. It would be abundantly clear where we need to say no. Places we need to stop doing things that we've done in the past, shrugging our shoulders, say it's, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, this isn't gonna affect me or whatever. Make it clear, Lord. God, that we would be bold enough and brave enough to change, to make those decisions to be different. And God, that though it might be hard at first, Lord, that in in those moments that you're doing a work in us, Lord, and eventually it's not going to be hard anymore. We're not even going to want those things anymore. That it will be like, it will be bitter in our mouths. And we we will be consumed with going after the things that please you. God, right now, I just want to pause and just pray over those that don't know you, that haven't received you as their Lord and Savior, that have been yoked to the world and all those things. Even right now, Lord, I want to be yoked to you, to say, I want Jesus in my life. God, that that they would know that as they receive you, Lord, you change everything. You change everything. So, if that's you, if you're watching online, if you're in this room, I just want to take a moment to, in your own words, it's not a prayer that you have to repeat from me, it's a heart issue. Or you can just say in your heart, say to him right now, I believe. Come into my heart. I want to be yoked to you. I want to be yoked to you, Jesus. Father, I pray a blessing over every single person, marriage, family represented in this place. God, I pray that you would bless the conversations that come from this morning. I pray that you would bless the homes this morning. That as decisions are made, that are God pleasing decisions, Lord, the atmosphere in homes are going to change. And Lord, we just repent and say we are sorry if we have been kneeling at the altar of busyness and not at the altar of you. God, we're sorry. And we just say thank you for bringing us back to you this morning. God, bless your people. Bless your people this morning, Lord God. We lay our decisions at your feet. God, you are truth. You are our provision. You are Jehovah Jireh. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You are a great and wonderful God. Thank you for thinking so much of us, Lord, that you wanna be yoked to us, that you call us the salt and the light. God, thank you for thinking so much of us that you redirect us when we get off the path. Thank you for seeing us and hearing us in every season and situation, Lord God. Thank you and thank you so much that you think enough of us to prune us, to give us more, to draw us closer to you, Lord. You're not satisfied with the status quo, but you always want more. Thank you, Lord, for that. And God, and in this season, Of growth in this season of more, where maybe we're making decisions that we haven't made yet, Lord God. I pray for that grace over each one of us to do it, Lord God. And as we look back on this season, we're gonna be grateful because we are no longer the people that we are now. We are closer to you. We are better husbands. We are better mothers. We are better fathers. We are better friends to one another. We are a better church, Father. We are a bigger church, Father, because of what you are doing in and through us right now. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. lay it at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Love y'all.